56 through 50. Hear now God's word. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, that is Jesus, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since, since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Every sermon is counsel from the word of God. Pastor William Still wrote in his book, All that many spiritually sick people need is a good balanced diet and a disciplined routine. My principal or primary surgery, clinic, vestry hour, counseling room, call it what you will, is the pulpit and the teaching desk. If in the end I cannot get people to see this, I despair of them ever becoming what Christ means for them to be. They will certainly never become the satisfied, happy, and more important, useful people that they could be. The vast majority of problems that people have are related to the way, in some way to the issues of forgiveness. The typical person's most troublesome problems would be significantly diminished and in some cases completely solved by a right understanding of what the scriptures say about Forgiveness. People generally fit into one or both of two categories. There are some people who need to be forgiven. Guilt is a major problem. 
depression, substance abuse, sexual sins, anger, and a host of other problems have guilt at their root. And there are others who need to learn how to forgive others. They hold on to offenses. They nurse them. Bitterness is a core problem for many, and for many of you who might be sitting here. In other words, some people are struggling with their own guilt. Others have a sinful propensity to blame others and withhold forgiveness for wrongs they perceive having been done to them. And then some people struggle with both guilt and blame. Both tendencies are spiritually and emotionally debilitating. Both are capable of making life miserable. Both can spawn a multitude of emotional and physical problems. And both can be remedied only by a better understanding of and belief in and obedience to what the Scriptures teach about forgiveness. Now, it's hard to think of anything that's more important than this subject. The gospel itself is a message about forgiveness. Christ's teaching was full of exhortations to his people to be, uh, to forgive one another. He set an incredibly high standard teaching us to forgive even the most stubborn offenders, even repeat offenders. In fact, the standard at times seems impossibly high. How can we overcome our natural human inclinations and learn to forgive the way God forgives us? Well, first, we have to come to grips with what the Scriptures teach about sin, about guilt, and about God's forgiveness. And when we do, we will actually be thankful that the standard that Jesus set is so high because it is based on the forgiveness that God himself extends to us. Our need of divine forgiveness is infinitely greater than any forgiveness that we might ever be called on to extend to someone else. Let me say that again. Our need of divine forgiveness is infinitely greater because God's holiness is infinitely greater than ours than any forgiveness that we might ever be called upon to extend to our fellow sinners. Simon, the Pharisee, lost sight of that. But the person who keeps this truth in view will never have a serious problem forgiving others. God is the consummate forgiver. And we depend every day on his ongoing forgiveness of our sins. At least, the least we can do is emulate his forgiveness in our dealings with one another. And I say this knowing that some of you are estranged from people who desperately need your forgiveness way more than they need your cold shoulder. You pray every week. Forgive us our debts, how? The same way we forgive our debtors. Lord, that's what I, how I want you to forgive me, is the way I forgive 
those who owe me. And Ephesians instructs us that we are, quote, to forgive one another even as God in Christ forgave you. There's that high standard. There is a natural sinful tendency for all of us to minimize our own sins and magnify or blame others for their sins, to treat ourselves with mercy and demand retribution against others. I want mercy, and I hope he or she suffers for what they did. If we would only learn to be more repulsed by our own sins than we are at the wrongs that others have committed against us, we would be well on the road to spiritual health. Matthew 7, Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? And I'll pause here, and somebody might say, well, wait a minute, he's got a log in his eye. He doesn't have a speck in his eye. That's, you're missing the point of what Jesus is saying. How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye. That's where all the focus should be. And then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. On the one hand, we urgently need forgiveness. And on the other hand, we desperately need to forgive. These things were constant themes in the teaching of Jesus during his earthly ministry. His parables, his preaching, even the Lord's Prayer, all emphasize the truth that those who are forgiven must also be forgiving. Some of his harshest sayings were spoken to people who were unwilling to forgive. The message of forgiveness is positive and hopeful. See, what we want to do is say, oh, I've forgiven you, but I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to be around you. I'm just going to avoid you. Is that how Jesus forgave you? I'll forgive you, but don't come around. I don't want to eat with you. I don't want to fellowship with you. I don't want to be in communion with you. I'll forgive you. Just get out of here. That's how we think we've, we've forgiven somebody is if we just, okay, I forgive you. Just, just stay away. That's not forgiveness. That's not anywhere close to the way Christ has forgiven us. The message of forgiveness is positive and hopeful because without forgiveness, we would have no hope at all. Forgiveness, we discover, is the starting point of resolving life's most troubling problems, including relationships. And so we want to examine the subject of forgiveness from several angles or perspectives, and the story set before us in Scripture today, in this story, we have two stories. One is actual, an actual historical account of a woman and a Pharisee, and the other is a parable of two debtors. As always, our, do- our job is to find ourselves in this story. And you're not Jesus. So you're either the woman 
or you're the Pharisee. The historical setting is the anointing of Jesus by a sinful woman in the home of Simon the Pharisee. And the parable teaches the simple truth that the degree of thankfulness expressed by someone whose debt has been canceled stands in direct proportion to the amount of debt that they perceive has been forgiven. A money lender who cancels a sizable debt of a creditor will receive more appreciation and thanks from him than someone who's can, who canceled an insignificant debt. I, it would be pretty easy for me to forgive you a $20 debt. It would be quite a bit more difficult for me to forgive a $1,000 debt. Pretty simple, straightforward, right? And Jesus applied this truth in the home of Simon the Pharisee, who was visibly embarrassed by a woman of ill repute, But Simon is going to be taught a lesson. So here's the setting. Perhaps the occasion was on a Sabbath day when Jesus had preached in the local synagogue worship service. And because it was considered meritorious to invite a guest preacher to dinner, Simon asked Jesus to come to his house after the morning service and to enjoy a midday Sabbath meal with him and other invited guests. The host, however, neglected to show the common courtesies of kissing Jesus, washing his feet, or pouring oil on his head. And so Jesus reclines at the table and, like the other guests, took off his sandals. Uh, it's likely that if, this, if the weather was nice, it's something like we might do. They ate outside. It would have been warm inside. And so they're outside in an area, an open area. And while the meal was in progress, a woman arrived who lived in that town and who was known to have a questionable moral life. She was one of those people. She quickly walked up to Jesus, intending to give Jesus a present of an alabaster jar filled with perfume. She knew Jesus, and she wanted him to have this present of costly perfume. And she wished to express her thanks to him for having helped her, presumably by teaching her the message of salvation previously. But in the midst of it, she was so overcome by emotion. And before she knew it, her tears were flowing and falling onto the feet of Jesus as she didn't bring a towel to wipe the tears from his feet. And so she loosened her hair and wiped his feet with her hair. Then she kissed his feet and took the bottle of perfume and poured it over them. Now, from Simon's point of view, this was an embarrassing incident. Gifts from immoral people were considered dirty and unacceptable to any respectable person. Furthermore, the woman loosened her hair in the company of men, And by doing this, she showed what kind of woman she was. It was contrary to all social graces for a woman to untie her hair in public. And so the Pharisee was amazed that Jesus let all this happen. He began to look at Jesus through different eyes. If Jesus were really a prophet, he reasoned with himself, he should have known that this woman was immoral and that she and her gifts were tainted by sin, 
and no self-respecting prophet would allow himself to be made unclean by this kind of person. A little bit of disgust. No doubt she'd had a horrible life if we knew her background. We knew what she'd been through. We knew what she'd done and how many times she had done it. Jesus is going to use this opportunity to deliver the gospel of salvation and call people to repentance and faith in God. Perhaps earlier that day, the woman, or sometime that week, had been in his audience, and now she's responding to his word, overcome by her guilt, yet knowing that God would forgive her. She came to Jesus. She was unable to stem the flood of tears, expressing sorrow for her sins and joy for the grace and mercy and forgiveness that she had received. But Simon the Pharisee couldn't see that this woman, that this sinful woman, was experiencing the joy of forgiveness. It didn't occur to him that she could be filled, could be forgiven and filled with happiness. Simon thought Jesus should never have allowed this woman to touch him. And it was hard for Simon to see this because of his own self-righteousness. He was up here. She was down there. His sins, you see, were only little ones. This woman had great sins. I'm sure he could have given her a great deal of advice on how she just needed to change her lifestyle while congratulating himself that his sins were not really all that bad. Jesus knew Simon's thoughts. (laughs) Well, that was about a big surprise. Simon is thinking this to himself, and Jesus just answers it, kind of butts into his own private conversation in a corrective way and told him that he appreciated what the woman had done for him because she did what the host should have done for guest. But before Jesus told the Pharisee what he saw in the woman, he asked him a question in the form of a parable. And so Jesus told the story of a money lender who had two debtors. One owed him a sum of 500 denarii and the other owed him 50. A denarius was in that day the wages for perhaps a farmhand for a day. Both debtors in Jesus' story lacked the funds to pay back the lender. Then the unusual happened. The creditor canceled the debt of both debtors. You don't owe me anything. Paid in full. Zero. Which of them, Jesus asked, will love him more? And Simon, perhaps somewhat grudgingly, replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Suddenly he realized that the little parable involved him. He knew that Jesus wasn't quite finished with the story. The application would inevitably follow to explain the presence of the woman, Jesus' attitude toward her, and Simon's role as a host. Here's where we look for ourselves. Do you see this woman, Jesus asked. Of course, Simon saw the woman, but Jesus wanted him to see her in a different light. 
Simon's eye was, eyes were blinded because while he saw her as a sinner, he failed to see her as a forgiven sinner. Who is my neighbor? Who is a sinner? Everyone. Simon's self-righteousness blocked his vision. In his opinion, the woman was a great sinner. And in his opinion, he was a little sinner. And Jesus gave him a clearer perspective. When I entered your house, Simon, you did not provide water to wash my feet, nor greet me with a kiss, and did not give me any oil for my head, but said, Jesus, this woman with her tears washed my feet, and because she lacked a towel, dried them with her hair, she demonstrated her deepest respect for me by kissing my feet. Moreover, she took a bottle of costly perfume and poured it on my feet. Jesus saw this woman as a forgiven, cleansed, debt-free sinner, and he did not specify her sins. He only summed them up by saying they were many. And because her many sins were forgiven, she loved much. She wanted to express her gratitude to God and turned to Jesus, who was sent by God, and he became the recipient of her affection, her gifts. And by the way, you can't even count all of your sins. Remember, Jesus said her sins were many. How about you? What would he say about your sins? Oh, there are a few. No. I know what he'd say about me. He'd say there's not a lot of difference between you and her. In fact, I may have more. I don't know. I don't know her. I don't know what she's done. I don't know how many things she's done. I don't know when she did them. And that's not the standard anyway. I'm not comparing my ledger to her ledger. My sins are many. Simon's sins were many, and your sins are many. You can't count them all. You've lost count. You've forgotten about most of them. Now, the woman didn't speak at all throughout her stay in Simon's house that we know of, yet her actions spoke louder than words. She was, this was an unexpected gift. She burst into tears because of her sins and gratitude, and like the large debtor who was told by his creditor that his debt had been canceled, she experienced the saving grace of God. And because of this grace, she wanted to express her thankfulness by giving Jesus the probably the most expensive thing she had. And that is, she showed her love to Jesus, she proved that her sins had already been forgiven. This was a gift of gratitude. It was not because she demonstrated her love that she obtained the forgiveness of her sins, because then she would have earned forgiveness. Remember Paul said that about himself, this is a way a Pharisee, I am the chief of sinners. That was his perception of himself. The publican cried out, God Be merciful to me, a sinner. 
By means of this parable, Jesus taught that the debts of the two men were canceled without any work on their part. So the woman, relieved of the burdens of her sins, could now show gratitude by kissing and anointing the feet of Jesus. But Jesus said, he who has been forgiven little loves little. You don't think you have much in the way of sins? Then it's kind of like, okay, I got salvation in my back pocket. Okay, now I can coast. Did Jesus imply that the sins of Simon the Pharisee were little and that because they were forgiven he loved little? Hardly. Simon had not expressed any love or thanks to Jesus apart from his invitation to dinner, which was likely because he wanted to invite the preacher over and be seen doing something. And had he, uh, and he had not seen any need to ask for forgiveness. And so the comparison nevertheless remained. Jesus did not elaborate, but by implication, he asked Simon to come to a knowledge and a confession of his own sins and thus experience the joy that accompanies the cleansing power of God's grace. He asked Simon, do you see this woman? And by means of the contrast exemplified in the parable, Jesus now intimated that Simon should now look at Simon. After Jesus addressed Simon, he turned to the woman and said, Boy, your sins are forgiven. All those many sins, all of them, every last penny. This was the woman's assurance that she was a forgiven sinner by telling her that she had been restored fully Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. There's the peace. Peace is reconciliation. Not go away. But now you can go in peace. No more enmity between us. In faith she had come to express her thanks to Jesus. Her love, therefore, was the consequence, not the cause of her salvation. With the peace of God in her heart, the woman could face the world anew as a restored human being. With the words, go in peace, Jesus gave her a parting blessing. So, what does this parable in the historical context of the forgiven woman teach? Love for Jesus can only be genuine when we acknowledge him as the Savior in whom we receive the unmerited, ill-deserved pardon of our sins, the cancellation of all of our debts. We can have respect for Jesus and can even serve him, but genuine love for him comes only when in Jesus we have experienced the remission of our sins and the assurance of his pardon. Then we have learned to know him as a Savior. Then our love is expressed to him in deeds of gratitude, which are going to be largely seen in how we treat other people, how gracious we are to the ones close to us. 
how kind, how forgiving, how tender-hearted, to use the words of Scripture. I mean, if there was anyone who could have condemned this woman, wouldn't it be the perfect Son of God? The perfect one is in the room with her. If anyone could have pronounced judgment, it would have been him. Who do I think I am? When we look closer at the detail of the story, one of the things we notice is the way in which Jesus turns the tables on the Pharisee. He is the one who is guilty of poor hospitality, which was almost as much of a social blunder as the woman letting her hair down. The Pharisee has never come to terms with the depths of his own heart and so doesn't appreciate God's generous love when it sits in person at his own table. How many people come to the Lord's table throughout their life, ho-hum, never understanding what this means? What he's done for you. For Luke, true faith is what happens when somebody looks at Jesus and discovers God's forgiveness. And the sign and the proof of this faith is love. And no, owe, owe no man anything but a debt of love. And who has forgiven you? And have you, uh, to remember who has forgiven you and ask the question, have you expressed deep gratitude for that gracious gift? And that will primarily be seen, primarily be seen in how you forgive others. So God was calling on this Pharisee also to forgive this woman himself, to see her in new light. Let's pray. Oh, oh to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Father, our debt is so great that we could never hope to begin to pay. We were hopeless and helpless when you, out of your free grace, came to us and canceled our debt in Christ. You set us free. And how happy we were. Yet in our new liberty, we are often tempted to take it for granted, and we frequently forget to show deep gratitude. We are not as fast to freely forgive others. We want them to pay for their own sins and not burden us with the cost. How, O Lord, could we not remember your sacrifice to erase our debt, to clear the books, to remember our sins no more? As you spoke to Simon, help us to see the woman who wept and showed you gratitude for her forgiveness. Help us to see ourselves in her today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And before we come to the table, I just want to read another portion of Scripture that I think illustrates what we just heard in this passage in Luke 7. This is from 2 Samuel 12. You know the setting. David has committed adultery with Bathsheba, has set up circumstances for her husband Uriah to be killed in battle. And now he is sitting on his throne and Nathan the prophet comes to him And he says, uh, again, using a parable 
uh, speaking to David. David's uh, uh, listening here, and he says, Nathan says, uh, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought, uh, had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. This was a pet. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. So David doesn't know this is a parable. He thinks Nathan has told about something that's really happened. And he's outraged that someone would treat somebody that way and take this little lamb, this sheep, and slaughter it for his own selfish reasons. David's like that Pharisee, right? He can see this horrible sin on the part of the one who would take this lamb. He says, and he shall restore fourfold the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And I think perhaps one of the most powerful and dramatic moments in all the Bible, Nathan looks at David and says, you are that man. That's us. I'm that man. And God canceled that debt. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you for laying your life down for us, your friends. Help us, Lord, to go out and live accordingly, to bear fruit as the woman did who washed your feet and poured the oil on your feet and wiped it with her hair. May we go and show that we love you by loving one another, by showing the world that we do love you, and then the world knows that we are your disciples. Help us to adorn the gospel and make it lovely in our families, in our relationships with our spouses and children and friends. May they know that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the world. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. And now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen.